and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Martin of the Beyond the Peloton newsletter. This week, we are talking about Strada Bianchi coming up tomorrow. It's a beautiful one-day classic through the gravel roads of Tuscany. And then we have Paris-Nice on Sunday. If last weekend was the opening weekend for the Coppa Classics, this is the opening weekend for the rest of the season. Strada is technically a classic, but you get some GC riders mixed in like Tade Pogacar. And Paris-Nice is going to be, that is a stacked race. It's a very hard race. Um, it looks so unglamorous. You, you watch it and you never think I want to be a professional cyclist. It looks so cold, so miserable. The weather's always terrible. The level of fitness is extremely high. There's crosswinds. It feels like almost every flat stage. But this thing is stacked this year. It's going to be a great race to watch. But first, if you want to support the podcast, you can sign up for the newsletter at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. There's a free edition. comes out minimum once a week. There's a paid edition. It comes out every day during, during Grand Tours. Also covers every major race. You get discounts to brands like Cure of Switzerland, Fast Cat Coaching, Stage of Cycling. And you can find that at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. To start things off, let's talk about Strada Bianchi, which is tomorrow. Uh, I won't pre- preview it too in depth since I assume most people, when they listen to this, the race will already have happened. Um, I did send out a newsletter for the paid subscribers. It kind of goes over the the betting odds and then how I think the... Um, the actual favorites kind of run a bit counter to that. For example, Julian Alphilippe is the highest rated rider at plus 225. That means if you bet $100 on him, you'd win $225. Tade Pogacar is at plus 240. Tej Benut's at plus 1200. Tim Wellens at plus 2000. And then uh, Matt Motorich at plus 2500. Alejandro Valverde plus 3300. Carapaz also at 2500 with Motorich. Um, this one's so easy to pick uh, a favorite. The start list is a little diminished this year. Usually, this has been a super stacked race over the past few years. I feel like it was been getting better and better. I thought the COVID year 2020 was like really a, kind of a coming out party for Strata because it was the first, I'd say, real race back after the kind of that traumatic, terrible COVID break where we didn't know what the hell was going on. Was professional cycling going to continue to exist? What was happening? Strada comes back. Wout Van Aert wins it that year in 2020 with an amazing solo performance. Um, it was just a really stacked field, so much so that everyone was saying, oh, this should be a new monument. This should be the sixth monument. This is like the next big race in cycling. Um, there's only one problem here, though. There's two problems. It's pretty early in the year, and it's 184 kilometers. I mean, like a monument is about, I think the shortest monument is maybe Flanders at 250 kilometers. So it's, and, and you might think, I, I even have had professional cyclists say like oh the distance doesn't matter that you're just wasting time but it, it really does matter at this level of racing the difference between racing all out for four hours and six hours or even seven hours it's it's completely different you get um the the better riders just the cream comes to the top the harder the race is the longer it is and also it's less tactically um tricky the, the shorter it is i mean strata it's an interesting race because it really is um, the winner's the strongest rider almost all the time. There's not really a lot of faffing about. People just kind of, if, you, if you're strong enough on the gravel climbs to get away, you will. If you're not strong enough, you'll fall to the back. You'll decant out the back to some chase group. And if there's a small group at the finish, it, the finish is so steep. It's like a 16% one kilometer climb through the, the side streets of Siena into the Piazza del Campo that the strongest rider is going to win there. So it, it's it's kind of a straightforward race. You just go really hard. The course is super hard. It's always up and down. It's on a lot of gravel roads, especially gravel descent. So you have to be a great bike handler to win. But it lends itself to younger racers, um, ones who maybe don't have the tactical experience. And 
potentially even physical endurance to win a monument, but we've been seeing in recent years that age maybe doesn't have as much to do with that as we thought previously. But it is it, experience does matter, even though Tade Pogacar is a young writer at I believe he's now 23. Um, he has a lot of experience. He has a lot of miles in his legs, a lot of long races in his legs. You see someone like Remco Evenepoel has struggled in the past at longer races, like the World Championships this last year, when that lasts like 20, 30K of the race, because they're just not used to doing a ton of super long races. But the average age of the winner at Strada is 27 years old. That is quite a bit younger than, I mean, Paris Roubaix is almost 32 years old. So you can see that it, it's an explosive race because it's shorter. It is less tactically demanding. So in theory, you get like a wider profile of wider riders who can win. But something that happens is it's so explosive and it's so, you, you have to have such a like elite watts per kilo to, to hang in in that finishing climb that it kind of narrows it back down. So, um, so someone like Sonny Cabrelli, who won Paris-Roubaix last year, wasn't totally expected, probably wouldn't be able to win Strada Bianchi. So in some ways it's more open, but it almost the, the steepness of the climbs and the difficulty of the course, and, and in some ways the shortness narrows that aperture of potential winners back down again. But concerning the start list, it is, it is very early in the, rate, in the year. We are still like five weeks away from Tour of Flanders, six to seven weeks away from Paris-Roubaix. So for riders like Wout Van Aert, who have done well here in the past, but then struggled with those later monuments that are more prestigious than Strada Bianchi, he is... They are taking it easy this year. He is doing Paris-Nice instead, which, I mean, that's not really taking it easy, but it's, it's a more of a, like endurance building effort. You know, an eight-day stage race or an eight-stage stage race is going to be better for more conducive to building up endurance than in like a deep, deep power than a short 100, or sorry, quote unquote, short 180 kilometer explosive race. And you have to be so sharp to win this that if you're just building into your classics form, you're not going to be able to compete at it. So the, the spot on the calendar and just how difficult some of the climbs are really has kind of eaten into that start list as riders learn that the better you are for Strata doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be better for, for races later in the year. And also there's some illness going around the Peloton. It's, it's a bit ambiguous. It's kind of odd People are dancing around it, not saying it's COVID, but Tom Dumoulin supposedly had COVID and then came out with a statement saying he doesn't. But Tom Dumoulin, Leonard Kamya, Roman Bardet, and Tom Pickock all are late scratches due to some, some mysterious virus going through the Peloton. It sounds a lot like COVID to me, but um, they are being cagey about that, at least for now. Um, Pickock particularly is a really devastating scratch. Um, you could have imagined him winning this. He's actually like genetically engineered to win this race. He's has amazing off-road skills, so he would have been at a massive advantage on those downhills. And his like he's like 58 kilograms and explosive, so um, it's hard to imagine anyone beating him on that uphill finish at the end. But alas, he will not be there. So uh, we are left with the the. This is a race between Julian Alaphilippe and Tadej Pogacar. Let's stop kidding ourselves. Um, they are just they're both pretty light and so explosive and such good bike handlers. It's just hard to imagine anyone beating them. Um, and maybe like Matty Motorich, if they get stuck in a stalemate, he could slip away for a solo win. It's not impossible to imagine that happen. Alejandro Valverde, in theory, is good, but the way he got smoked by Mike Woods on stage two of Gran Canary, Gran Camino, makes me think that it's just hard to imagine him winning an uphill finish after that. I mean, that was like a really devastating loss. He 
he sustained on that uphill finish. So that gives me pause. I mean, I see names like Sergio Hagita thrown around. Um, he's not ever won like a one day race. That's, um, that's not like a national championships. Like he's never won a classic. He's more of a mountains, like a punchy mountain stage winner in a grand tour. This would be completely something completely different for for him. Um, Richard Carapaz has been so bad this year. I think the only reason he's this high on the odds boards is because he's a fan favorite. People love this guy, particularly um, South American fans love him because he's an Olympic champion from South America. That's pretty cool. But he has just not been good this year. There's no way he's in the form to win this. You know, maybe he could turn things around by the Giro, by like the third week of the Giro. But it's far too early for him to be to be winning a race that's this explosive. So you know, I could be wrong, and, and like this. This could I could look so stupid because most people listen to this after the race, but I have a hard time just seeing how Pogacar does not win unless he suffers misfortune. Um, you know, maybe Alaphilippe outsprints him on that uphill finish. That that would be the only thing that give, would give me pause. But those two are so good. Um, I really struggle to see anyone beating them, except as I said, maybe like a solo breakaway from Modric. I mean, Tej Benut is, is pretty high up there on the odds boards. People love Tej Benut. I mean, he looks good. Like we watched last week, he was really active in both Omloop and Kern, but he doesn't win. He only has three pro, pro wins in 10 seasons. Um, he, he did win this race back in 2018, but that was with a long solo break. It's hard to imagine anyone letting him go clear again. Um, it's just really hard for slow twitch guys like that to win races. Um, it, it's he just does not have the punch to win a sprint. He has to win solo. Um, not impossible, but it's very unlikely. He just doesn't win very often. One thing though I wanted to talk about um, in relation to Strada is just how good UAE is UAE has been and kind of how poor Quick Step has been so far this year. I, you know, I touched on it during a premium newsletter, midweek news newsletter, but UAE is dominating the season. Um, I heard Lantern Rouge and, and Benji Nassen, they, they, they are very, um, very informed. Cycling commentators, I'd say maybe two of the most informed. They are not buying the UAE, UAE hype train. The team leads the pro tour or the world tour and wins top tens and UCI points by quite a considerable, considerable margin. They just like they cannot stop winning races. They won La Siam with Matteo Trenton. They got first, second, and third at Trofeo on Wednesday. Um, the win looked, I mean, Lantern pointed this out, the win looked more impressive on paper than it was in reality. It actually looks pretty um, botched in reality. They had two riders up the road with the third. They stopped working. They stopped riding because they wanted him to work. I mean, that's never going to happen. And they get caught by Carlos Rodriguez from Ineos, who bridges up to them, but he just happened to have Jan Polanc on UAE, on his wheel, who counterattacked right when they caught him. Um, picture perfect attack but as he's soloing to the line his own teammates are pulling him back like more concerned with sprinting for second and third or upset that he's going to win it, it was not like a great display of teamwork even though they did sweep the podium there but they are strong um, Alessandro Covey has been really good this year they had a 19 year old Juan Ayuso get second at Trofeo I mean that's really really impressive. Um, the team has has just kind of reju like rebuilt themselves over the offseason. I've I was impressed with their offseason moves, and I've been even more impressed with how it's played out on the road. So I expect to see tomorrow 
just extreme domination from that team. The only thing, though, as I just pointed out, a lot of them are young and not super experienced. I mean, they do have a slightly different team at Strata with like Tadej Pogacar and Mikkel Berg. They have Kovi, who is very talented, but very, very young, very green. Max Ricese, who knows exactly what he's doing, old veteran. Mark Soler, who I'm really curious to see how he races with Pogacar. He's never been really a team player during his time at Movistar, so I'm not quite sure what to expect. And Diego Ulisi, who is a very good Italian rider, um, could almost imagine him being like a dark horse potential winner. But it is just hard. You look at the start list, it's hard to imagine any team mounting any type of um, way to stop them. They are like the team on the rise. If we look at UCI points scored in the last week, they're first, quick step second, Bahrain's third. So it's clear that UAE is just like off to a hot start and performing well, that the key thing there is are performing well at races that Pogacar is not at, which they've never been good at before. So the fact that they are doing that now is something I've really noticed and should, in theory, allow them to support him you know, in races like Saturday Strad, but also in the Tour de France. So I'm really curious to see how, how they do as a team at Strada. You, you could see them getting maybe more, maybe two, even three riders on the podium here. I, would, I wouldn't be shocked, actually, if they swept the podium. But the second best team at this race is Alaphilippe's Quick Step. Um, in the past, they've been extremely dominant in Cobbled Classics. That's kind of their core competency, their calling card. They have a lot of big Belgian riders. They're just so good, so well drilled in those Cobbled races. Um, they've not been good so far. Uh, they did win Kern Brussels Kern on Sunday, but that was more, I thought that was more of an individual effort from Fabio Jakobsen, who's clearly the best sprinter in the world now. I don't think there's any question that he's currently the fastest sprinter in the world. I think that will be borne out at Perry Nice on Sunday and Monday in those sprint stages. But Sunday's win at Kern, I mean, he saved their weekend and the team was not active that Sunday. Um, that, that's what stuck out to me so much that they didn't really have representation in the breakaways. They Definitely didn't have anyone in the final breakaway that almost stayed away. Um, I didn't even notice them particularly pulling that hard. They just kind of like rolled the dice on it coming back together and then Jakobsen being able to sprint for the win. That's what happened. But they're going to have a hard time if that's how they're going to race on Saturday. I don't see that working again at Strata. So they're going to have to be a little bit more active if they want to see Alaphilippe win. You know, they do have, they have great talent, particularly for non-cobbled races, though. Like, Alaphilippe's not doing the cobbled classics this year. Remco Evenepoel's way too small to be a cobbled rider. And those are their two kind of punchy stars. They have Casper Askren, who won Tour Flanders last year, is very good on the cobbles. Um, he's just been building slowly into the year. I think he is targeting races further down the line, like Tour Flanders trying to repeat there. And he could definitely win Paris-Roubaix if things line up for him. I also, this is a, I have not looked into the specifics, but I feel like Quick Step comes to this race with clinchers. Um, if you ever try to race gravel roads on clinchers, it doesn't really work. You get so many flat tires. But that's why they've struggled to win here in the past two seasons when I believe that's when specialized teams went to exclusively clincher tires. Um, UAE is totally old school. They'll probably definitely be on tubulars that's got to give them an advantage over quick step i haven't checked though it's possible they're racing you know non-compliant wheels specialized or not even specialized wheels just like their own wheels that are tubulars because those clinchers are just so vulnerable on on gravel it's even different than cobble on cobbles where clinchers i sonny cabrelli won pair roubaix on clinchers last year so it's definitely possible on the cobbles I'm just not totally convinced with these sharp rocks. And it's just like loose, sharp rocks all over the place. That's what a gravel road is. 
um, that running clinchers is, I just can't imagine that's a good idea because the sidewalls, I feel like are just a lot weaker, but I could be wrong. It, it has, they have suffered from a lot of flats here in, in recent seasons since they've switched over to full-time clinchers. So something to keep an eye on. But quick step, as they, as we get further into the cobbled season and we'll kind of count Strata as, as a cobbled race, it's not really, but um, for the purpose of this exercise, we'll, we'll just consider it that. I, I've noticed that they've just been, they really don't have control of races. Normally they, they like just take them by the scruff of the neck, the neck and they just kind of run them from start to finish. They haven't been doing that this year. A reader did point out they don't have Tim DeClerc. I believe he's having heart problems um, from COVID. And he, he was like a really important domestique for them. He has been not racing. And I definitely agree with the reader that it's part of the reason they've seen so disorganized. But we, I mean, we've seen Quick Step struggle early in classics before and then recover. So that is possible. I'm not saying they're done. I'm just noticing that they were definitely outclassed by Yombo over the weekend and then UAE during the week in these one-day races. Something else that I've noticed is they just have a lot of like, it's like brain drain, talent drain from that team when it comes to, to the Cabo Classics. They have not been replenishing the, the talent pool there. And they really rely on like Florian Seneschal and Yves Nampera. They're like number two and three options in the cobbled races behind Casper Askren. So it's like really all on Askren. Lampera and Florian and Florian are great options, but they used to be like fourth or fifth, sixth, seventh options. And then now, you know, they're really relying on those guys for results. We saw Tuesday at La Siam, they had they had Bert von Lurberg in the breakaway at La Siam and they just kind of, they didn't even really chase. They just said like, yeah, you know, I think we, he, he, he's got a shot of winning. He didn't have a shot of winning. He like tried to attack at the end and didn't really give it his all. He kind of sat up and yelled at people for chasing him, which is ridiculous. Why would like, of course you're trying to, to win the race. That's ridiculous to expect. Otherwise, why, why would people not chase you? This is not, these are good riders are like specialists though. They're not, they're specialist cobbled riders who you would want to be a supporting piece to someone like Wout Van Aert, someone like Matthew Vanderpool, you know, it's like huge that they've missed out on these riders or even Tom Pidcock, the type of rider, you know, he's like Julian Alaphilippe 2.0, like he would be great. You know, if, if this was eight years ago, does he go to quick step and is he winning these, these hilly one day races for that team? You know, it's, it's, it's quite possible. They have not been keeping to the fore of, of talent identification and recruitment when it comes to the Cobble Classics, even though that's been what they've been great at. Um, one more thing on Strata is Greg Van Avermaet. He, he is a weird quote machine. I, I cannot, this guy needs to just shut his mouth. He's always saying the, the weirdest stuff. He's has this theory that the COVID vaccine has made him slow, even though he was quite slow before that. Um, he did get third at, at Omloop on Saturday. So it's not like he's terrible, but um, he's just suffering normal age decline. It doesn't seem to be able to like um, accept that. But he he was complaining today about how the GC riders are ruining the classics. They should, the GC riders should not be coming to race the classics because they're just too good. They're too light. It's not fair for guys like him. Um, that's ridiculous. Obviously the best riders should be winning these races. If Egan Bernal's good at Strada as he was last year, if Tade Pogacar wins it this year, that's great. You want the best rider to win. Like they don't owe it to classic specialists to stay away from their races so they can win. Like it's up to the classic specialists to be better than 
the non-specialist trying to do the race. That's the reason they're a specialist. So even, even the fact, I bring this up because the fact that he would even be giving this interview, a strange interview to give just about complaining about the lightness and power of the other riders, but tell me that he's not going to win on Saturday. Um, and potentially that third at Omloop will be the high water mark of his classic season. He's, I just thought he's been getting weirder and weirder in the last few seasons um, and just kind of like lashing out. You see this with like Russell Westbrook on the Lakers, like lashing out, like literally misbehaving, throwing temper tantrum, tantrums in his interviews because they can't quite deal with the fact that they aren't the athlete they used to be. So just wanted to point that out. If anyone was thinking about betting on Ben Avermatt, please do not. Uh, big Italian races are always on Saturday. That's a little key to, uh, to not missing Italian races as I've done in the past where it's like, yeah, Milano Cinerama was this Sunday. I'm super pumped. And then you totally miss it because it's on Saturday. I, I assume it's just because Sunday's the Sabbath. That's for, that's for resting. That's for going to mass. So they race them on Saturday, but it's actually, it's, it works out super well here because we have Perinice on Sunday. And the macro, macro view of Perinice is this is going to be super interesting GC battle. We have Primoz Roglic, Adam Yates, Simon Yates, Naira Quintana, Shabal Almeida, Alexander Vlasov, all maybe with the exception of Simon, have looked very good so far this year. So I'm super excited to see them race against each other. My gut is that Roglic is just going to roglify everybody. Um, he would have won Perinese last year if he wouldn't have crashed on that final day. But something I'm, I'm also interested about is Wout Van Aert is racing Perinese. He hasn't normally done it. He usually does Strata. Um, I definitely think it's the right move to do Perinese. That's just a better training path for the classics than Strata, for reasons I said earlier. I, I'm looking at this route. It's flat stage, flat stage, hilly stage, 13K time trial, hilly stage, hilly stage, mountain stage, hilly stage. That's got Wout written all over it. It's actually hard to imagine where you're going to put time into him, considering he can ride crosswinds better than probably anybody in this race, and he can time trial better than probably anyone in this race. The guy's an amazing time trialist. And you might worry about him on a summit finish, which is the stage seven. It's really the only mountain stage of the race, but it's 16K long, 15K long at 7.2% average. I mean, Wout can definitely do that. I mean, one on the double Vaughn two stage. Um, I think I'd say the only rider who could drop him is Primoz Roglic, you know, maybe Adam Yates. But if he's in the leader's jersey going into that stage seven, I can't imagine Roglic is going to put the screws on him, put the screws to him and try to drop him. Um, Adam Yates might be able to shake him loose, but you know, how much time does Wout have on Adam at that point? Um, especially when we consider you look at stages one, two, three, five, six, and eight, he could win. Those are all winnable stages for him. I mean, even those two flat stages on one and two, he might be finishing third, second. Um, he could get 20, 30 seconds in time bonuses here quite, quite feasibly. Um, plus the, you know, let's say he puts 25 seconds into Adam Yates in the time trial. You know, that's going to, it's going to be really interesting on that. That's next weekend that we'll have that mountain stage. So I'll talk about mo that more um, in next week's podcast, but definitely something to keep an eye on. I think WoW is being totally underrated as a potential winner at Perry Nice here. But I am just other notes. I'm very excited to see Naira Quintana finally uh, take this super form he has up against Primoz Roglic. Um, and even Adam Yates looked really good at the UAE tour. So that's going to be fun. Um, I'd love to. Not quite sure. Simon H just does not seem like the same rider since Bike Exchange went through those troubles when they kind of like sold the team, didn't sell the team, 
uh, back in 2020. I, I just wonder if we can. Adam used to be the the second of the Yates. He was not as good as Simon. Since he's gone to Enios, he's been the superior Yates, I think by far. So I'm curious to see this Yates battle. Shualameda does not have Tadej Pogacar here, so I believe he'll race for himself. Um, he was doing quite a bit of teamwork at the UA Tour. Um, love to see what he can do. Vlasov, I think, kind of regressed on the final stage of the UA Tour, but before that, I thought his season was looking really, really impressive. Um, kind of what I thought Vlasov could be. One thing to notice here, though, is he's Russian. This has to be a stressful time for him. He's come out against the war, uh, which is good. I just, I just cannot imagine it's going to be like a welcoming environment that France, that the West in particular, like, or just in general, being in the West is going to be pleasant for those Russian riders for a long time. You did see Pavel Sivakov um, change his racing citizenship, like his racing license from Russian to, Fran to French effective immediately. Um, that should take some of the heat off him, especially in France. I have to imagine um, he is such a talented rider. I kind of get made fun of my support for these two Russians because I'm so high on them and they um, kind of struggle to put it together on the road. But Pavel in particular, he's so talented. Um, he is not the best bike handler, not the best racer, but I think he's going to be like a shot in the arm for the French team. If he can make Olympic and uh, road race world championship teams, um, that, that's such a good presence for them. I mean, and honestly, I, Maybe I don't I don't know if he's like considered a French rider now, but he's probably their best chance at a French Tour de France win they've had in a long time. So he he will be embraced by open up with open arms by France. Um, Vlasov, it could be a little bit more difficult for him. I, I'm just I, I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm curious to see what this week is like for him. I think it could tell us a lot what what like the rest of the season or seasons, however long this uh, goes on is going to be for for Vlasov. I think those are the, really the only two major Russian riders I can think of. Oh, and I mentioned the Gazprom team winning last podcast. Um, they have been basically barred from any race that matters because they are funded by a Russian state-owned company. So um, I, I mentioned their really impressive 19-year-old Czech rider who won that stage at the UA Tour, and now we probably won't see him race for the rest of the year. Hopefully he can find another team though, so we could see him. Um, I, I was excited to see how he would progress, even though that team is at odd growth curves in the in the past. And the last thing before I go, I just want to talk about the sprint stages on one and two at Paris. This is going to be really interesting too. We get Jasper Philipson versus Fabio Jakobsen. I saw some data earlier this week that Philipson has been like the fastest sprinter so far this season. That's interesting. I, I think Jakobs, I think Jakobsen just from the eye test has just been. He has been destroying people in sprints. I'd say he's by far the best sprinter in the world right now. Um, and maybe Phillipson's been faster. I think it's it's hard to compare sprints like that aren't the same. You have to be like for like. And even max speed, it really just matters who's crossing line first. You know, maybe you're going fast because you're you're out of position. You have to speed up to try to close someone down. And we haven't seen Jakobsen maybe racing against the best. It feels like Mark Cavendish has been taking those race days where um, he might go up against Philipson and Sam Bennett and Della Gronewegen, who are all going to be here, and they can't take Jak Jakobsen and Cavendish to the same race. So but Jakobsen hasn't really had the chance to show his talent against these guys yet this year. So that's going to be, those are, I normally don't really like sprint stages in these short stage races. I just like, oh my God, there's, there's better things to do with your time than watch that. But 
Pyrenees, the crosswinds can be so, so important here. And these, these sprints are going to be awesome. Um, like borderline Tour de France level, I think. These are kind of mini Tour de France previews of, of the type of like best sprinters in the world going head to head to head. Really, the only elite sprinter I think we're missing is Mark Cavendish and Caleb Ewan, depending on how you might rate him. And kind of the last thing to note before I, I sound off is we've seen, this, I think January and February were like the months of the small teams like Arkea, Lotto, Kofidis. It's not totally clear to me. They say they've like, we have a new strategy where we're trying to get points so we don't get relegated. You're like, well, what, what were you doing before? It seems like your strategy is just to race hard and do well. Um, Arkea has, I, I, I will say they have employed there are almost any competitive strategies where instead of trying to get one rider in first and, and everyone else sacrifices themselves for that lead rider, they just try to get as many riders as possible in the top 10. Um, you, you could argue that this like hurts the competitive balance because they're not even trying to win the race. But what happens a lot of times is they, would, they don't win the race. Like, Is Dan McClay really going to win a sprint against Fabio Jakobsen? Like, probably not. So um, not the worst thing in the world, not the worst strategy to try. Uh, but this part of the season it just gets tougher and tougher um they're not going to be able to steal major races i know they can still go to like crap let's just call them crappy french races and the uci has set this competition up to prioritize small french races because the uci is run by a mayor of a small french town and that's where those races take place but you're you're gonna see the the big boys are gonna come out and just really start racking up points i mean we like yumbo had like no points until recently um after the opening weekend they're they're all the way up to 12th after basically being close to last. Um, I will say Bike Exchange and Israel Premier Tech are slightly concerning to me, um, especially Bike Exchange. I mean, those two teams, they're in seven, Bike Exchange is in 17th, Israel's in 18th. They could get relegated. Like they're in serious danger zone. So if Bike Exchange. And those, if Bike Exchange in Israel don't start getting results at these harder races, and now it's going to be harder to get results than it has been, you know, they, they could see themselves out of the world tour, which is important because they're not from core cycling nations. They're from Australia and Israel. It's going to be hard to get wildcard invitations. I mean, you could see that it's an existential threat for the team. You know, if you're a French team, if you're Kofidis and, and you're relegated, you don't really care because you're still going to get invited to French races and you can have a team that sustains itself on that. Um, Lado Sedal is a little bit, a little bit tougher. They're Belgian. That's a huge cycling country, but you know what Grand Tour can you bank on getting into? So, so it's important. It's more important for Lado than it is for Total Energies, Kofidis, or even Arkea. Um, I think Arkea, you know, if you can make it into the World Tour, you take it because it's just an insurance policy. You don't have to rely on the invites or your performance to get in. But Arkea, honestly, would be fine probably if they didn't get promoted. There are, I should say, there are some changes coming to the pro to the wildcard invitation, invitations they can give out. I think it's getting harder and harder just to invite teams that are from your country. They, I think they're implementing more of a merit-based system. So, so there are advantages for almost anyone to be in the world tour. But for, for Israel and Bike Exchange specifically, you really don't want to get relegated. So um, also will be interesting to watch them at Strata and Pyrenees to see if they kind of get serious about racking up some some points, I know. But I talked to like a senior official at Bike Exchange, at the team, who said they are doing a more intense COVID testing protocol within the team, which is keeping them from racing basically anyone. Which is probably why they haven't racked up any points. Um, if they keep that protocol up inside the team, though, that they, they could 
they could see themselves out of the world tour. All right. Well, enjoy the racing this weekend. I might try to do two podcasts next, next week, but we'll see how that goes. I might try to recap the racing and then do a racing preview for next weekend. But have a great weekend and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.